0: Hello!
1: Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to see you.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful to see you too.
1: All right, I'm just checking all my audio stuff looks good, so I'm in business. Yeah, I have my Hi- like little home recording studio set up. You, I know you're recording so you can show whatever you want of that, but then I've got my big softbox lights all set up over there.
0: Wow, so, this, this is professional stuff.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like $80 on Amazon, right? But it's worked in COVID. It's worked like a charm. I even ended up on KGW a couple of times. And so I was grateful that I invested in that at the time. I've got a little remote microphone that works pretty well. So you do what you have to do.
0: Ah, your, your audio sounds like, man, you're on CNN or something.
1: Yes, that's <laughs> oh. what I'm going for. <laughs> or,
0: or, yes. or, or one of those guests on the late night shows, you know, everything sounds <laughs> so perfect there.
1: Right. You're like, how do they do that? It's magic.
0: Stephanie, thanks for doing this.
1: My pleasure. Uh, Honestly, I'm so glad you asked. Like, I'm super excited to, to talk to you. And I think it's such a great idea because like, even when I run into people on the streets, they're like, Oh, Hey, I was wondering what happened to you. Whatever happened to Kelly love or whatever happened. Like you, it's this, and we all kind of stay in touch for the most part. So it's nice to be able to like tell people, this is what happened to me. Yeah.
0: Well, I, when I first got the idea, I, I made this list and I guess kept writing down names and writing down names and I got to like 20 or 30 names and I've been uh, chugging my way through it. And then I'll be on Facebook and I go, oh, there's her. I want to talk to her. Oh, I want to talk to him. And oh, I got to talk to that person. And uh, so far, uh, I've had one one a week uh, for the whole year. I hope <sighs> I can get through 52 maybe.
1: That's so awesome, man. That's really, really cool. Are you doing just folks who have like, I use retired in quotes because- so many of us are doing other things, right? Or are you doing folks who've moved out of market as well?
0: Uh, I'm doing all of that. Uh, I, I've, I've had a few people that are still working in the business in Portland and on the air, um, you know, trying to track down, you know, there are a lot of people that left the market that I'd like to find. And I uh, hopefully, you know, you're, you're kind of emailing here and Facebook in there and that kind of stuff. And, uh, so uh, th- there's a long list of folks who I consider part of the good old days of Fortland TV media. Yeah. So uh, well, let's start with what you're doing now because you've branched out into kind of independent contractor yeah. uh, mode, haven't you?
1: It's so interesting because I get reached out to fairly regularly on LinkedIn and occasionally on Twitter from folks who are still in kind of the day-to-day legacy business, I mean, out well outside of our Portland market asked me like, how did you do that? How does it work? And usually I'll pick up the phone and I'll have a phone conversation with someone and kind of, you know, run them through the, 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 the hard parts of getting this done. But the reality is, is when I decided I wanted to Really, uh, not, move away from KGW is not a great way of putting it because I have a really good relationship there and I'm still doing content on occasion for them. I really like the people there. I love the direction that the newsroom is going in some really challenging times and what they're trying to do with content. But I didn't want to do that day to day. I really need, required the ability to kind of flex the creative muscles, I guess. And so to have this job, which is really a piecemeal job. So there's a a fair bit of hustle and the income is inconsistent, um, but it's something that I can weather because of smart decisions I made when I was much younger, kids don't go into debt. Uh, And that really afforded me the opportunity to not have to have that steady paycheck. And I've got insurance through my husband's work. And so all of that came together to let me do this. So I do a lot of work at aviation. Uh, And the air show community. I'm even um, the incoming board chair for the Oregon International Air Show, which we're growing now to two locations. And, you know, really trying to put on world class events that have have very different vibes to them. I work for GeekWire, which is a technology reporting company. And so I will do cloud computing. That stuff is the the single hardest, nothing KGW ever threw at me in terms of like, do a story on the new tax code. Uh-huh. Nothing touches trying to cover cloud computing. Um, And then I'll also do like comic cons and other freelance work. So I feel, and I, and I write and, I, and I just have this like tremendous um, variety in what I do. So that part for me keeps me going because it's fresh. I don't get bored. I'm not stagnant.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And it seems like you have put together a package of that, that a, keeps you busy, yeah. B, keeps you interested, and you can get the income you need uh, to yeah. continue the way that you wanna live with your family.
1: Yeah, and you know, my daughter really loves the aviation stuff too. So now that she's older and she's more self-sufficient, she's come with me to an air show and she wanted to do the you know, the Facebook Live. I'll never forget, we were doing the Christmas tree lighting at Pioneer Courthouse Square and she was with me on the stage. And she did not understand why the microphone was not hers the entire time. And this is, you've got to understand there's what, 10,000 people out there. And she is like zero fear of being, I wonder where she gets it from. So <laughs> it was like, we, I go to this air show in California, which is great. Cause they, that air show really focuses on kids. And so she came with me and she got to do all the interviews and she got to be a part of that. And so it's fun now that she just turned 12, it's fun to be able to share the things that I love. And it just turns out she loves them too. You don't ever force your kids into things, but when they like that stuff, it makes it a lot lot easier and and a lot more fun.
0: That's good. Well, at, at the age of 12, you've now come to that crossroads where she keeps being interested in mom stuff you got it made because there may be a fluctuation away from, I don't want to do anything mom's doing.
1: <laughs> this this is why like, I just started flying airplanes. I'm working on getting my private pilot's license and she thinks that's super cool. And I'm like, that's going to buy me like another year, like Good. another year, mom's still going to be cool. And then I don't know what I'm going to pull out of the hat a year from now. We're, I mean, I think, you know, she's, she, every kid is different Um, and I don't really know because I only have the one when that transition if it comes out of the blue or if you kind of know it's coming but certainly the the human being that she is now she's super empathetic and she's a very kind kid so I'm just leaning on that to hope that you know we have a kind of successful transition into those independent years which are so mm-hmm. important for them but I, no one wants to be in world war three if we can avoid it <laughs> no kidding right? so especially we'll at your house
0: <laughs> right like yeah.
1: right like she's right up there so uh-huh. yeah
0: uh, well, the aviation is, is just a cool expertise, or at least pushing into that. How did you get interested in, in that? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember you being an aviation reporter at KGW. I know Jack Penning uh, was, yep. was really knowledgeable in that. Uh, is that just a, an interest you've always had?
1: So I did. I took a flight with the Canadian Snowbirds back in the late 90s, and then I started kind of covering, I realized air shows were cool, did a little bit of work at Boeing and I was like military aviation is cool. And then I took a flight actually at KGW with the Blue Angels, I think it was 2008 was the year. And that that really solidified it, like covering the air show and having that kind of exposure. And I just kept leaning into it as best I could. And Jack and I would actually often kind of work on stories together. So he was really focused on commercial aviation and he also did work externally in that world and Mm -hmm. was super knowledgeable. I was sort of just naturally gravitating toward modern military aviation and air shows and doing all this stuff. Like I would take, I don't think anyone at KGW really knows this but I would take, save up my vacation to go to the International Council of Air Shows in Vegas in December, which is a week long sort of trade expo and exchanging of the minds for air shows. And really started realizing how much I loved it. So it was a super easy transition when I really, you know, pulled back from, from KGW. I all of a sudden I had the time. And then air shows were interested in having someone like me who had the broadcast and you know the marketing skills. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many times do we sit there and have consultants tell us how to do a better job of marketing ourselves, but all that, as much as I hated it at the time, sorry, KGW, it it was worth it because it's given me this like depth of knowledge that I can apply to other things in my life. And then the rest is history. And then I've gotten to do some really cool stuff. I just flew with our F-15 guys out at the 142nd wing. And I produced a five minute story for KGW on that because they're getting new jets in a couple of years that are going to be a very big deal for the base here. It's been around forever. And, and I, you will appreciate this, Carl. I decided to edit it myself.
0: Oh, good.
1: Which I can, I mean, I can edit. I've never taken on a project like that. I absolutely, I'm glad I do not know now what I knew when I said I would edit because I put myself through the ringer. I chose new software. I I upgraded professionally. Uh, I required help to make sure I could get the multicam edit set up. And I wanted to just rip my hair out and I poured so much of myself into it. And so it was like, I sent it off to KGW and I was like, do they like it? Like, oh, like there's so much of my heart into this that no one knows, you know, like a full week of editing because I'm not fast like KGW editors are. So that's, it was a real natural transition for me. And then learning how to fly is just something you know, at my age, you know, I'm, I'm nearing 50, um, you know, my daughter's getting older. And I think a lot of women and and men too, um, for me, you know, being home so much, I'm a primary caregiver. A lot of us give a lot of ourselves into, into raising our kids and then our kids leave and we're, we're empty nesters. And we're like, well, who am I? So this was a part of me, you know, really Leaning into, for lack of a better word, into who I think I am. And so Mm -hmm. to have that come together, and, you know, I'm flying in an airplane that's made here in Oregon. Um, I'm flying with headsets that are made here in Oregon. People don't realize the cool aviation businesses that are centered here vans aircraft light speed aviation to name a few like right here in our backyard
0: yeah Is, isn't there one out in the gorge like in hood river or white sam sure. or someplace yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so they make so they make these really cool like cub aircraft you know a, a slower kind of tailwheel wheel style like bush plane flying you know i mean we really do have a lot of those aviation businesses here and so maybe there's a path for me to start telling those stories as well you know starting with fans aircraft and and whatever just to to because i think most people don't know why would you if you're not involved in aviation but it is pretty interesting because yeah. it's something that we just don't realize much like people don't realize nike's headquartered here or adidas you know or columbia like they're here same with aviation we've got these folks right right here in our backyard
0: well, that's one of the, the wonderful kind of side benefits of our job when we were working is you got exposed to all these different things. Hey, go cover this today. Oh, go cover this. And then something like the aviation comes on and goes, hey, this is really interesting. So then you become uh, uh, at least enough of an expert on it, knowledgeable enough that you can cover it really well. And then in your case, it moved on to be the next stage of your, uh, your yeah. professional life.
1: Well, and it's funny you say that because I do tell people I, because people like, man, like there, usually I can speak a little bit about a lot of things. I go, I'm good at a cocktail party. I know just enough to move the conversation along, but I don't have depth in any one of the 15,000 subjects that I have had exposure to in my career. And it's a great way to be because it keeps me, you know, hungry for knowledge. It keeps me really invested in the conversation. So if I'm talking to a doctor, because remember I was a health reporter for five, six years at Mm KGW, if I am, you know, even... Like breaking news stuff, understanding how you know forest fires are fought here in Oregon, or what the criminal system, whatever it is, tax code, mm-hmm. uh, understanding all that stuff was that you know has given me, um, such a great, a great breadth of experience, and and to that, for all of the challenges that being in our business had that. I'm so grateful for it. I'm a, I'm a more well-rounded person as a result of
0: that. Yeah, as reporters, we had to become an expert about a topic in a day. In a day, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and 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 just enough of an expert to tell a story correctly and fairly. Uh, and you know, if you're lucky, you got to advance it over t- over time. I always, you know, when I was teaching for a couple of years and kids were writing papers, I was always saying, "Hey, reporters, we write a pep, we wrote a term paper every day. Yep, and we got graded on it every day, and so we had to make sure it was." Uh, good interesting correct fair and uh, on a deadline
1: <laughs> we I was gonna say we would get the story assignment at nine or by nine thirty, and you had a version on the air at noon like yeah. you, it's not a lot of time I remember I, I took a writing assignment with an unnamed group not not too long after I left KGW and and I was like yeah that sounds great no problem like Five hundred words, piece of cake. And they're like, great. You, th- you think you could have it in like three weeks? I'm like, I can have it by five. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. two and a half paragraphs. You know, yeah. like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it'll <laughs> so. be. A,
0: I'll give you a VO bite at five, and the whole thing at six thirty.
1: <laughs> so I just did this air show in New York, and we actually broadcast we live casted our air show stream on wabc which is the abc 7 uh station in new york it's mm-hmm. disney oh no so you know for those folks it's it's owned by disney it's a very mm-hmm. big deal but it was so fun to work with them because they had no idea you know who is this person and i was like oh no i speak your language like yeah. what do you want and they were like they're like well we need a minute 15 hit from you and i was like now and they're like yeah we can cover it. and i just like banged it out, you know, one take moved on and they were like, yeah, okay, you're good. And they're like, yeah, no, you're good. Okay. I guess. Thank you. So it was, it was fun to know that. And why I love going back to KGW and stuff like that is, is to make sure that I'm still fresh with the skills because, you know, you step out of that newsroom, you walk back in there. Even for me, I came back last Christmas and I was like, Who are all these people? (laughs) Like, where's this new
0: software?
1: (laughs) It looked no, it really was. It was like I mean a totally different ball game. And what was funny, so for those of you who like TV news, TV news has these iterations over time. Where you know when I started, you could easily tell a four or five minute story, and then we kind of went through the leaner years where you were fighting for a minute fifteen, a minute ten to tell your story, if that, Uh, and then. Now I go back in this newsroom and they're like, yeah, five minutes, no problem. Like we had a story that was like 18 minutes the other day. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> okay. But I love that. It is letting, you know, Carl, you and I have talked about this. It's letting the story um, tell itself. It, there's no point in droning on about it, but some stories do require more time to be told successfully. They don't all fit into a clean minute 10 package with a 10 minute intro and a am t- sorry, 10 second intro and a 10 second outro. It's not how... It works. And, and
0: I remember sometimes when, I mean, we know the, the hard news or the spot news story and how it should be told, but I remember, you know, getting an assignment or suggesting an assignment and then doing a story. And, and in doing so, doing that, doing that assignment with an with a, a incredibly talented and artistic photographer who gets Nat sound and things that just tell the story so well. So you'd, you'd put together this really good piece that was, that was like 220. And then you'd go to the producers and say, well, well, why don't you come look at it and tell me what we should cut?
1: <laughs> yes and, yes and,
0: and 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 it was like uh, you know cuz not every story needs to be told that way but some do and it's like if you, once you watch that thing you're going well I'm going to drop a little VO that I've got later in the newscast because what that reporter and that photographer put together is a small piece of art that's going to be remembered or uh, or, or you know, treasured by people. Uh, but I always loved that. Well, that's great. Come look at this and tell me what you want to take out of it.
1: <laughs> you knew. So I would work there and there's a number of photographers there, but the folks that I would employ that exact strategy with were Steve Redlin, Ken McCormick and Kurt Austin. So if there right. was one of those three, I would submit a story that was like two minutes. It would end up growing to like 250 with all the natural sound and the really beautiful things. They took my story and they made it something Beautifully unrecognizable to me. It was so much richer than even what I thought I had done a good job with. So it was this great like teamwork. And so then you'd go to the producer and you'd be like, "You have to decide how to <laughs> because I cannot. I'm very happy with yeah. all this right you now."
0: You go tell Kurt Austin which of those four or five natural sound pieces he put in that are beautiful yeah. that are coming out. Yeah. If I those guys and others, uh, if I you know if I knew I had I'd negotiated for two minutes. I, I would write for about one thirty because I knew they were they were going to squeeze stuff in there. every every piece of it was gold, but I had to leave room for it. <laughs>
1: well, and this so you would actually you know I love doing the stuff with modern military aviation. so for for those of you who are watching, Carl Click would have actually been a great fighter pilot, and I'll tell you why. So fighter pilots have um, a debrief that they do after every single sortie that they fly. And they can be kind of blistering. There's no point in holding hands and doing nothing but lavishing praise on someone when there's work to be done and to this day i am such a stronger writer because of carl Klick. so this is why you'd be a, you'd be good in the debrief so he used to uh he would take he would collect the scripts after he got off the set oh, no. and you but this is such a good it's it more of this needs to happen carl he would stand in the middle of the newsroom and he would go through your script and he would point out where you had passive writing and to this day i cannot in a sentence, craft a passively written sentence without fixing it. It's now automatic in my head because my goal was to not have my script in Carl's pipe <laughs> no, that's so end of his anchoring. No, <laughs> that's <not> no, no, <laughs> oh. you're not ashamed. It was one of the best exercises, Ugh. and I wish newsrooms everywhere did it because now I hear the passive writing. Oh, yeah. You just have to train, you have to show people how to fix it, and then they will. But we just don't teach for that anymore.
0: Yeah, because we threw people into the fire pretty quick in those writing positions and not just reporters, but, you know, uh, associate producers and writers for newscasts. And, and, you know, and they all became good at their jobs, but they didn't have, they lacked that basic, some of them lacked the basic training of, of here's active writing, here's passive writing, didn't know the difference. And, And, and the trouble is you get stuff written that comes down on the feed from the networks or from someplace else that is you know passively written it's like
1: no 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 that's not how we're doing this yeah well that's why you end up on i I wish i could i'm just having trouble thinking of of who has done the mashups it might be trevor noah it might be someone else but where they take all the you know anchors across the country who've taken the exact carbon copy of a of a script or whatever the case may be and you can just cut them dice them together. And that was always a thing too, where it'd be like, no, no, no. We don't take associated press copy as is like, we're going to go through and take two seconds to look this up and figure it out and rework it for those very reasons. That was another thing I never wanted to be a part. Maybe it was Conan, whoever it was, I did not want to be on that broadcast either. I I
0: I know exactly what you're talking about, where they can run 20 clips in a row of everybody making the same cliche lead-in joke to a story because they took it off the feed Verbatim. And you can't,
1: you can't blame them. You know, I mean, it, it is when you look at the pressures of being in a modern newsroom, it's not like folks are sitting around playing Tetris or shopping on Amazon. It is, it is honestly hair on fi- hair on fire from the time you start till the time you stop, because now not only do you have your legacy broadcast media at noon, four, five, six, 630, sometimes 710 and 11. You also have web component. Now you have social strategies. You have this huge amount of information that you're trying to dice up and parse out. So it makes sense where people are just like, man, I need some low hanging fruit to get through this day. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not one of us ever took a lunch. We all <laughs> said we did. Not one of us did. We sat there and we shoved food in our mouth. I still eat like a seagull at the beach. I don't know how to eat slowly <laughs> yeah. because I didn't have any time. It was know? either
0: either at my desk uh, or, uh, or in the car. Going yeah. to, a, going to a story,
1: going to uh, a story, yeah. never just a nice, relaxing lunch. Those yeah. were rare. And then you felt guilty. Like if you were like up at the mountain and you actually had time, like nothing was going on and you were in a holding pattern and you like sat down at the lodge and you were like, man, I'm actually going to get this burger. And like, you'd be like, I shouldn't hmm. be here. <laughs> like, I feel so bad because no one else is getting this right now. So,
0: well, well I always felt like if I, I mean, I didn't take a lunch. If I got my writing done while I ate my lunch or something, it gave those photographers an extra 15, 20 minutes to do their magic. Uh, I mean, I don't want I don't want a photographer up against a deadline because I stopped so I could have twenty minutes to to you know go down to the leaky roof and get something. But uh, oh, the leaky roof. No. Nah. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think back. You came to KGW in kind of the mid to late '90s. Were you coming from Boise? Is that right? Or Spokane? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I worked in Yakima, Washington, and I still stay in touch with people there. uh, Some folks who have left the business, some folks who are still in it. And then I went to Boise fairly quickly. It was about two years. I started all off uh, behind the scenes, and then at Yakima, I kind of worked my way from being a producer and an assignment editor, which was great because it gave me such an appreciation for those jobs, by the way. Mm -hmm. Then I moved into anchoring, but it was you know anchoring in in Yakima. Great training ground, because it it was really challenging. Um, I had a great boss. He was a hard boss, and he wasn't always the most pleasant, and he will tell you that. He doesn't pretend he was anything otherwise, Uh, but I definitely learned a lot from him. Uh, And so then I took that to Boise, Idaho, worked weekends there, and then really pushed hard to get the job in Portland because my husband's born and raised, you know, he's third generation, we live in Vancouver. Um, And so it was, it was pretty incredible when I actually got the job I had had an experience with two other newsrooms, one in particular in the market that at the time of my hire, just I thought I had the job and then I didn't. So to get hired by KGW when I was largely untested, and that was still back in the day where you didn't come from Boise, Idaho. So we still had Larry Shoup, we had Walden Kirsch at our station. And those folks, you you got to Portland through a, a prescribed path that almost always involved you stopping in a number 50 market or someplace. And here I'm coming from one of the smaller markets in the country, largely untested live jumping to Portland. And, you know, and I was kind of looked at like, oh no, this is the direction the business is going. So I always felt like I had to work much harder and everyone worked hard, but I just always, for, for the first probably five years of my my career at KGW, I felt like I had something to prove so whatever the assignment was how far out of town do you want me to go what shift do you want me to work i mean i did it all like i worked whatever was necessary uh and it wasn't until later that I started going, okay, I do want Christmas off and I do want Thanksgiving off. And then we had the whole crop of the next generation come in and they're like, man, she's never worked a holiday in her life. I'm like, no, 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 I have. (laughs) I worked a lot of holidays, but it was, but I say that in jest, right? I still stay in touch with a lot of folks from KGW, but you, you get it. I mean, you live that yourself, you know?
0: Well, it's a pretty common theme with a lot of these folks that I'm talking to that have been through the business. You know, it's, it's just interesting to find out, you know, who started as, as you know, Milk Ritter started as an editor. He'd never edited before. He kind of, you know, somebody said, hey, have you ever edited? He went, nah, yeah, and he learned it on the fly. And, you know, and Paul Lindman was on the assignment. Yeah. And, and all these people who have been successful in this business uh, started at the bottom and worked their butts off, worked every shift they could. To get the experience and, and they prove themselves and, and then that work ethic continues on and, and people are uh, you know, uh, eventually uh, successful because they're good hard workers and, and they get the job done. I remember uh, it wasn't long before you got there that you were fill-in anchoring at both the weekends and the mornings. You sat in on the mornings with me when Brenda would take some time off uh, and you said that you, uh, you did health reporting for quite a long time. Uh, and I mean, not the, and, and, you know, all of us did everything, yep. um, but I, I, you, I, I think that you really made your mark when they decided to send you to the Olympics. And I can't, I can't remember what the first one was at Sochi.
1: Uh, so the first, the first one was Nogano? actually Salt Lake. Okay. So it was Salt Lake and it was with uh, Colin cowherd, Matt Zafino, Joe Donlin, and then me. So I was like, which one of these is not left? (laughs) So, um, you know, I was still green, but I was super enthusiastic and I had started, you know, it was still, I was very early on at KGW, but the reason, and this will all tie in together. The reason why I ended up anchoring on the weekends was because there was a day when someone was on call and that person did not respond to the pager. So Kelly was, I think it was Kelly Love. who was doing morning week weekend mornings at the time she was sick. So they tried to bring in the on-call person, the on-call person didn't respond. And I'm sure they just went down the list and they're finally like, okay, we're going to call Steph. And so I got the call and I, you know, it's like a, kind of rude awakening and i was like yes i will go do this and then it's a, a at the time it was like a four-hour show
0: yeah i remember right? so, yeah.
1: but we but they it went really well and they were like oh you can you can do this job because remember i was untested right so they're like oh you could do this my first day on the air i was covering breaking news i ended up in wall-to-wall coverage it was on the weekend when you don't have a lot of support so when mm-hmm. you're carrying wall-to-wall coverage you really carrying wall to wall coverage. Um, and so I had these opportunities through circumstance to, to show everyone what I could do and the Olympics were no different. So I got to go surrounded by the deepest bench of talent that, came, I mean, this, this hugely experienced group of folks and then me, but I was able to maneuver really quickly and go do cool things and meet cool people and, and bring something totally out of the box. And that's what kind of helped sell it. And then I kept going for seven, Carl, I covered seven Olympics. And by the last one, I was very done. And I knew I was leaving Kate. It was Rio was my last one. I knew I was leaving KGW. Um, like really leaving, not this hybrid thing that I did for years, which was at KGW's request, right? While they, and, and I was, I love that station and the managers enough to be willing to, to do that. But I was like, I'm, I'm done. Um, but I wanted to go back to the Olympics and say goodbye to all my Olympic family because that's the only time you ever see these people. Yeah. And you see them from across the globe and it was my opportunity to say, I'm not coming back. So it was, it was cool and it was emotional and there was a lot going on in my head. Um, and I now look at it and feel so grateful that I got to end that run on my own terms, uh, as opposed to just having it just go away. Because that's hard, you know? So
0: yeah, I got lucky. Well, yeah, and I mean, as I said, you really made your mark there because you were outstanding and energetic and hardworking and, uh, and, uh, and creative and found these great things to, to cover at the Olympics that weren't, you know, the, yeah. the, the final times of the 100 of the meter dash, everything else. Uh, But I I think people should know that when you have an assignment like that, uh, it is maybe the hardest thing in the world, usually because the time zone is different and you're, you're working during Olympic time and then you're broadcasting during Portland time, which is completely opposite of when the things are going on. It's like a 24 hour a day shift for two weeks.
1: It is. And it's, it's honestly even more than that because you're trying to shoot as much stuff as you, you can beforehand. And so I worked with Ken McCormick, the videographer, the photojournalist I mentioned earlier, as well as other folks. I'm like, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to come in screaming, like we're going to run this marathon at a sprinter's pace for the first week. Mm -hmm. We're going to get as much stuff in the can as we can so that hopefully we are quote unquote shot out By about halfway through the second week, which will enable us to breathe and then focus on editing like so I was able to to sort of teach folks that and then when Cassidy went after me I was like sat her down with all of my notebooks. I mean it is no one care no one cares it's the Olympics it's super glamorous but it is the most work I have ever done and sometimes I'd be like why do I want this so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I know what this takes. Like, it's not even like, I know what this takes to get done. Um, But there's a moment where you're so in your groove and you understand it so well that even though it's a lot of work, it is still less work because you understand, you know, who to call, you know, how to get there, you know, how to turn a no into a yes. That was my specialty because Uh you get told no all the time at the Olympics. Um, And so I, it was a great, it was super fun to be able to do that. But I can't think, of a harder assignment, which is ironic because it should be so fun. It's just, it's a grind. It's Groundhog Day, day after day. And you don't know Wednesday from a Sunday at yeah. all, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and and you know, while you're doing all that work, it's very important that our reporter that we've sent to Japan or Russia or wherever, or Rio, is on our air live interacting with the anchors. And again, that's happening in the opposite part of the time period. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've been on those, whenever you're sent out of town to cover that big event, mostly it was sports when I did it early, but yeah. uh, there's an intense pressure because yeah. we've spent money to get you there. We're spending money for the satellite feed and everything like that. If something goes wrong and you're not on the air for a technical reason that you have no control over or even traffic getting back to the studio, that's a, that's a disaster. Yeah. And, and that pressure is on you every single day and nobody gives you a gold medal when you're done
1: (laughs) no if you it's much like being an assignment editor which i did back in my first job when you've done a really great job all you've done is your job no one goes (laughs) to the assignment editor on their way out the door goes you know what you did a really good job today nope you just did your job and the only time you hear from folks is when you screw it up so Uh, i can i find that so relatable so relatable (laughs)
0: So think back uh, all those seven Olympics. What stories? What athletes uh, uh, moved you uh, when you think back of all those people you had access? Basically, the job there is to to link Oregon and the Northwest to these games. So there were a lot of athletes from that area that you would keep track of. Uh, what touched you? What moved you?
1: I I actually I watched uh, Mario Zagunis win. All of her medals you normally when you go to the Olympics you actually don't get to see the events themselves it's pretty rare just how it's structured you usually sit in like a literally an underground basement bunker, and you watch on some TV screens and then you hope the athletes walk by and they'll stop and talk to you, Uh but just by stroke of luck I was able to watch our Oregon fencers which were super dominant in that sport win the medals for something that was at the time a first of its of its kind. And I'll just never forget the moment, you know, she had won and the way that the media pen was structured, I was like the first stop. And she was coming for me and she had tears in her eyes and then <laughs> I got tears in my eyes because it was just too much. And I was like, well, you know, journalistic integrity be damned because this is a moment and I'm going to enjoy it. Like anyone else would in my shoes. So that was incredibly special. And then I just had some really funny and poignant and kind of interesting moments with team USA basketball. I went to, to go to a game and the guy who was running venue security decided that I needed to sit courtside. And I kept telling him, I'm like, I don't have the credential for this man. (laughs) I am not supposed to be here. And he's like, no, you are today. You sit here. He sat me next to James. I think his name is Goldstein. He is the guy, um, super elaborately dressed like older gentleman. He's got the house in uh, Hollywood that overlooks the hills where they shot Charlie's Angels with all the glass wraparound windows. He's this total like basketball super fan and this really eccentric guy. So he sit me next to him and I'm like, I'm getting fired. Like I'm going to end up in some shot on some screen somewhere. And they're gonna be like, why is stuff there? So <laughs> the, the game gets over and I go beat feet to go to try. And this, I'm not working, I'm not on the clock. I go try to beat feet to go get over and meet my media folks, which is what I was trying to do in the beginning, which is in the shoot, they can't see the game. They can't see anything. and. They're like, man, this was tough. Like none of the guys stopped on the team. It was a tough day for them. You know, everyone walked by and I was like, man, I'm really sorry. That really sucks. Well, okay. Have, you know, have a great night. Well, I guess we'll, I'll try again tomorrow. And I'm on my way out and I see Kobe Bryant standing there. And I have not a clue what got into me, but I like f- had the 20, you know, some 100 yuan, which is like 20 bucks in my pocket. And I pulled it out and I was like, I'll, I'm going to, re- I got 20 bucks that says, I, I'll beat you back to our live shop platform. And he took the bet. And he took off running and, uh-huh. and he's like hopping barricades <laughs> i have a backpack on i'm like running all everyone is now looking at us like the the way that the thing is set up people who are exiting the state the, the venue can look down and see us and all the cameras are pointed and he got there and i have a picture of him and he's standing there <laughs> doing this and then he did an interview with us we were the nbc affiliate m- market so yeah. he does this interview with us i hand him the 20 dollars because of course he's going to take it and I remember at the end of the night, and then they're like, I became the basketball reporter. So then all of a sudden, and I don't know anything about the sports. So then they kept sending me to basketball practice, but the guys didn't mind. Like, I was like, everyone here is asking X's and O questions, which are great, but they're asking the same question over and over again, because that is what they cover. I cover something different. And so I would wait. I would let all of those very important, very big time people get their important questions out of the way. And then I'd be like, who's going to teach me how to dribble? or, you know, tell me about, and just fun. And they they really loved it. And so I was able to get the nuts and bolts sound for individual stations who needed individual players and then have some fun with it at the end and put really fun stories together with it. But I'll tell you, it didn't occur to me until after the fact that what if Kobe would have tripped over the barricade that he, that he jumped over and like busted an ankle or, you know, at the time, like I, I got... Man, like hindsight was not working. Like hindsight, I would never, but at the time it was just a snap thing that I did and it and it worked out. But thank goodness he cleared those those. But now, you know, of course, given what's happened with him, it's something, it's a memory that I hold on to. And yeah. and Ken McCormick actually recently shared um, some video of, of Kobe and I playing basketball. And I playing basketball for me is it was very embarrassing. But he, he shared that recently on, I think it was Twitter. And it was a a nice memory, given everything that's happened with him. So that's kind of my Olympics, you know, highlight story.
0: And did you go to most of those Olympics with Ken McCormick?
1: No. Um, So I would go with Ken. I would work with other photographers in our parent group family. So that, for those of you who don't know, involves King 5 up in Seattle, as well as KTVB in Boise, Idaho. So there would be different photographers who I'd work with. Uh, One of the Olympics, I was by myself, which was more challenging than I anticipated, because it also involved kind of running your own live shots and and handling that. Um, you know, it there was definitely a mix of folks. John Gudgel was there. Um, you know, for one, I just I had this you know different folks over the the years um, who I worked with, and it was great because everyone their brought their own perspective, but it also was at sometimes challenging because I also really wanted to help them understand how it was going to go. You mm-hmm. know, I remember poor Gudgel. I was like, okay, this one's gonna hurt. Like this first week, you're gonna be like Steph, what because we would shoot five or six, like it was just non-stop. And he's like, You're killing me. And I was like, just trust me, you're gonna love it when we get on the back side of this, you know. So
0: well I appreciate you mentioning Ken because uh, you know, uh, we were so lucky to work with great photographers at KGW. Uh, uh, he's just one of my favorite people in the world. Absolutely. He was, uh, I just remember how he kind of learned on the job when he was up on PM Magazine and then he, then they, they made some changes and he came down and he was so, uh, Ken was so open and eager and, and just a, such a nice friendly man to work with. And I always said, nobody skis backwards better than Ken McCormick.
1: That was his thing. You knew if it was a mountain story, like are we doing snow survey? Yes, I, we're gonna send Ken yeah. and he's gonna ski backwards down the mountain and he's <laughs> gonna shoot it also. With the, the big camera, Yeah, right? Yeah, I'm, no, and I, I worked also with Devin Haskins when I was in Rio and that's when when, and I remember he and I talking about transitioning into doing on-air stuff because the roles which used to be very delineated. When I started, you had a live truck operator, you know, it'd be John Helm or Jim Culp. You had a, a videographer who you were working with, photojournalist, and you had someone who was on air and you had three people. And then over time, by the time I left, it was really down to, to one. Um, and so Devin was a part of that. It was like, you know, if there's a very real chance that you come to the next Olympics, Devin, all by yourself. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, here's where everything is. Cause I knew I wasn't coming back to Rio and I didn't know how you know, how it was going to shake out or who they would have go, but it's, it is definitely like a one man band type of uh, situation now over there. And, and so also I think that was a good time for me to leave because I was really used to working a certain way. And I think while I love to learn new skills, um, there's a limit to, to that as well. And that's just a real challenging environment to try to do by yourself.
0: And that transition has happened, uh, and all parts of the media that I see, because when I was leaving k two uh, we had a morning photographer mike warner who yeah. uh, who w- would be out and then he'd start doing little live hits when, when there was a, without a reporter with a, a traffic situation. And then we'd get him on the mic and he'd talk about things. And now he's, as far as I can tell, yeah. he's, a, he's basically a reporter, photographer, morning guy, a hybrid that's out there covering whatever's happening in the morning where it used to be you had the photographer, the reporter, and that engineer doing things. And Mike's doing most of that stuff himself, hitting, you know, breaking stories and traffic and weather and things that are going on.
1: And he takes phenomenal photographs, by the way, like I actually follow him on Instagram uh, and Twitter because he's, he's just Johnny on the spot, you know, all over the place and and for all the reasons you mentioned it's been super interesting to see how those um, career paths the job description has changed over time right really for everybody. Uh, Because case in point you look at Christine Pidwanich and folks at KGW, who now they took their on-air stuff but they're also shooting and editing all of their own content so it's really and there are still t- traditional kind of news anchors who don't shoot their own stuff um, but are capable of doing it and will do it so there's this whole mix of folks who are in there but the business has definitely sided um, you know or, or put its stake on the side of folks who are able to do all of those jobs mm-hmm. um, and it's like I said, I decided to tackle editing on my last five-minute story. Um, and I realized exactly how slow I am, but I loved it. I do love that I built some, some skills there because I think it's valuable no matter what I do.
0: Uh, and uh, when you talk about editing, uh, when I first started, I was a sports reporter and we edited our own things. Uh, and that, uh, that- On what?
1: Three quarter? What were
0: you yeah, editing? Uh, it was three quarter inch tape, my love.
1: <laughs> Same here. Same yeah. here. I but, feel your pain.
0: But that process of editing uh, that I did for six years as a sports reporter uh, and had been had learned in, in school uh, is another way to teach you how to write because you're understanding pictures and organizations, and uh, and then I got great lessons from some of those great photographer editors who uh, you know would help me or I'd watch them edit my stuff. And, I, and, and just that process of video editing is so important in storytelling. Uh, you know, when I left TV, I went into teaching and taught a video production class. And the first thing I taught those seventh and eighth graders was how to edit Uh, so that they would be uh, better storytellers, uh, of which I'm very appreciative of you. You were one of the people that came and talked to my kids on career day, of which probably over the three years I did it there in Vancouver uh, at Jason Lee Middle School, probably more than a dozen of my former friends and colleagues came and and talked. It was always very fun and valuable, but that editing, uh, that video editing skill uh, is, is really important in our jobs.
1: You would be working on three quarters. So these days, for those of you who edit, it's nonlinear. You drag and drop. You don't like it. You delete it. You might screw something up if you're using a magnetic timeline or whatever, but it's nothing you can't fix. Those days you would put your heart and soul into a story only to have something called the control track drop out. And the whole thing just won't play. It just won't. (laughs) And your all your work is done. And it was like you, you had to really get it right the first time. And it, I think it actually, those of us who grew up with, you know, um, linear tape to tape editing really had a very, um, uh, we were very excited about nonlinear editing for all of the forgiveness that came along right. with it, that we weren't necessarily used to. You and know? think of but our
0: I, predecessors who learned how to do it with film. Ta- talk well, about not getting a second chance. <laughs> Snip.
1: <laughs> that's what they, they're like. And then you would tape it together. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yes. And I was yeah. like, I'm never complaining about my crappy three quarter inch deck that would sometimes smoke. So I'm out there in full news anchor gear, you know, doing my, the best job I can in Yakima, Washington covering agriculture, which was a huge beat. I've got this three quarter inch deck over my shoulder. It's like 99 degrees. The thing starts smoking and I'm out at the dairy, you know, feed lot. And I'm just like, I've just shot my own stand-up, you know, and I just remember thinking, man, what and it's, you know, like the 4th of July and everyone's having a really nice time. And, and I'm out hanging out yeah. with dairy cows, just thinking to myself, what am I doing? And I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it. But yeah. like, those were hard. Those first jobs are rough, man. And they pay, they, they don't. Oh,
0: they're yeah. Crazy. And I don't think they pay very much now either. So no,
1: no, they don't.
0: So, they so really were, don't. were you always directed towards uh, getting into television and news and journalism? How did you, how did you make that uh, decision early on?
1: Journalism, yes. So I I knew very quickly. I worked in my high school newspaper, became co-editor in chief. Um, really liked it. Was was one of those art artsy weird kids. Like I always looked weird. I had weird colored hair. Back at a time. Nowadays you see it everywhere. Back then you did not see it everywhere. So I you were a stuck. rebel. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just I really stuck out. But I really liked everyone, and I got along with everyone. So it wasn't like it was just a, it was a, a, a interesting time to. Be someone like me. Uh, But I really loved journalism and I loved writing. So I decided I wanted to go to the University of Oregon and I could not afford out of state tuition. So I had to take a year off and I worked as a waitress and I saved all my money. uh, And then I put myself, got into in state tuition at the UW up in Seattle and um, did an internship at King Five. And I was this, you know, baby, what, 20? 20 year old. 20, I don't even know how old I was. I, I could, if I pulled up the year, I would be able to tell you, but it was the big earthquake, you know, it was back when the kingdom was there and it, they sent me on this breaking news story. And I remember the reporter, I will not say her name because she's still out there. And she was like the de- Ed White, who is this legendary assignment editor at King five, one of the longest serving assignment editors in the country. And just a wealth of knowledge and an amazing human being. He was like, all right, Steph, I want you to go with this person. And she was like, no, because she knew it was going to be like nine hours, you know. And she's like, I don't want to have to talk to this. And I'll never, what I said is, I was like, I won't talk and I can carry things. (laughs) She was like, she looked at me and she's like, get in. And so that started me. I didn't know what really TV news was all about, but I was hooked on the adrenaline. Uh-huh. what do I like to do? I like to do adrenaline things. So I'll jump out of airplanes. I'll fly in fighter jets. I will learn how to fly small general aviation aircraft. Like I am definitely wired for that. And so that adrenaline rush really hooked me. And then, and then they started trusting me with like little kind of weekend VOBs, like go out and just, sh- you know, go with the photographer, ask a couple questions. And I took it so seriously, but it, it hooked me. That pressure yeah. and the adrenaline that comes along with it was very different than what I was experiencing as I was working on the print track. And that's what sealed it. Then I worked and did an internship in Yakima, Washington. I lived when you could do this. I lived at the station above the garage. Um, and that's how I did my internship. And <laughs> then I got a job there out of college. But I'll, my boss, the guy I was telling you about earlier, who's uh-huh. kind of a hard boss, he was like, you're, you're never going to be any good on TV. He's like, you just, we're going to put you behind the camera. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to be okay. Um, <laughs> But again, I was a girl with a weird hair and I didn't look the part. And he's like, you just don't, you just not, you know? And so it worked out in the end. I figured it out. I still hate it to this day. Like Uh I wish I, you know, had purple hair and whatever, but (laughs) I got to do this for the job. Well, you have a 12
0: year old now for that. (laughs) She she just got
1: done with through her like blue hair phase. And now she's like, mom, I want to dye it black. And I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) Like I am the I am the cool mom, I let you do these things, but you are not dying your hair black, that's a lot of work, trust me, I know, because I've done it, uh, so she's, she's great. The, the, thank thank God for temporary hair colors, because you could put them in, in like in, in yeah. you know, five weeks, they're totally gone, so that's how we roll in this household.
0: Good, hey, yeah, Stephanie, this has been just a joy. Uh, I, I think I need, I just, I need a dose of Steph Strickland energy, maybe just once every six months because it's contagious, <laughs> it's thank contagious you. and it's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I'm so glad that you're enjoying life where you have it now and that our paths crossed in our TV jobs. Uh, it, it's just just wonderful to, to be uh, somebody who has worked with you and, and to keep an eye on the stuff you're doing. Uh, I mean, I hate to say I'm proud of you. I'm just excited for you, you know? It's well. great.
1: You should be. You're, you were a big part of helping me as I landed in that market become a better, stronger writer, which made me a better, stronger journalist. So for that, I thank you. You know, I was very green at the time and not a lot of folks necessarily would have that the time. Uh, I was kind of like sink or swim kid and that just wasn't how you approach things. And so I'm grateful for that. And so I love this. Thanks for letting me be a part of this and, you know, say hi to everyone again. And, and it was awesome. I had a lot of fun and I will come back in six months. I'm going <laughs> to knocking on your door. Excellent. Come back.
0: excellent, excellent, excellent.